traumatic thing in my entire life. It's okay, I'll be alive. How are you guys today? Look at how happy you look. You didn't have panic attacks 10 minutes ago. It's funny, because I never have stage fright, and I now know it's um, people that do feel like <laughs> when you have to sing up here. Oh, I am so happy to be with you guys. The other thing, I, unlike Derek and Dave, I'm wearing slippers. How many people are like Mr. Rogers and comes into your house, take off your shoes, and put on another pair of shoes? <laughs> Any of you? No, he's whack. All right, so slippers today, go home, wear slippers, and love your neighbor that way. So I, as preparing for this, I started thinking about life, and when our life, we kind of go through the motions. Anybody ever do that? All right, I do it like half the time. I feel like I go into autopilot and I'm like, oh, it's happening. Well, one day, something in my house came alive and was going through the motions, and it was my television. Now, this is weird. So every time we put our dog in her kennel, we lock her up, and we put on the TV for her. Well, the TV was off, and I lock her up, and all of a sudden, the TV comes on. And then it changes so it could pick, we use YouTube TV, YouTube TV. Then it ch changed to live, then it dropped down to the channel, and then the channel started playing. Completely on autopilot, like something out of a zombie apocalypse. And I was freaked out, and then around the corner comes my little stinker monkey, Ella, with, her, with the remote going, I can do it from downstairs, Mom. <laughs> She could take that remote and know every move by visualizing it and put it on the right channel, and then just like six different moves. And I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, you know what? But that's how I am so often in my life. I just kind of go through the motions. I live in this weird, like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do, so you kind of keep your head down, and you go into the zombie apocalypse, like a weird robot zombie. And the ironic part is, I was sitting last night preparing this message on how to be alive and not a zombie robot, when my daughter, Ella again, shows in my room, sticks something on my head, and walks away. <laughs> and I have no idea what it is, but I was so into this, what I'm gonna talk to you guys about, that I sat there and I just kept working. And I kept working, and I kept working. And what feels like a long time, but it was probably like 20 minutes, in comes my husband, and he starts laughing hysterically. This is what he saw. Can you read it? It says, I fart. <laughs> right on it. I was like, thanks, Ella. Like, how you could take it down. I'm like, and no wonder he was laughing, but I was so into my own thing, not paying attention to what was happening around me, that I didn't even notice something was on my forehead, let alone something obnoxious. 
I don't know, I, I'm wondering now how many times a day I'm like that. How many times a day am I in full autopilot, not aware of what's happening around me? How about you guys? How often does that happen to you? That you're, you're like, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something, but I don't know what it is. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. How on a spiritual level we can be awake, fully awake, to come alive in Christ and to stop living a spiritual autopilot, spiritual zombieville. And so we're picking up and from the messages that both Derek and Dave did on talking about what it means to love your neighbor. And so I'm going to read first, um, we're in Luke 10, 25, and this is also in your program, so you can follow along in there or on the app. And what's really interesting here is there's an expert of the law who is asking Jesus a question. And this expert of the law, you will see, is living in a spiritual autopilot. He's a spiritual zombie, if you will. He probably has a weird sticker on his face, just like me. So Luke 10, 25 starts, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. And I love this about Jesus. He asked him, how do you read it? And the expert in the law says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Live. Not just you're doing something good, you will live. But, and I love this part, I think it's my favorite part in this first couple of verses, he wanted to justify himself. So he asks, and who is my neighbor? I don't know, I hear it from my kids all the time, I hear it from my own mouth all the time, wanting to justify ourselves. Anybody else with me? Where you're always like, but, 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 like kids do it, but the teacher didn't tell me, so therefore my grade slipped. But everybody else is doing it, and you hear this, this justifying coming out of our mouths, and that's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to say, hey, I'm good enough. I'm good enough in autopilot. And he's testing Jesus. So right now you guys are probably like, I wanted a Christmas message. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. I saw a, um, on Facebook, kind of a Christmas meme, and it wraps up this entire series for me, and especially my message today. And we go ahead and put that on the screen. It's coming. Here it is. If you wanna keep Christ in Christmas, then feed the hungry, comfort the afflicted, love the outcast, forgive the wrongdoer, inspire the hopeless. That's what it means to have Christmas. That's why Jesus came. And that's what we wanna talk about today. How to do those things at this time of the year. So we're gonna do it by talking about two things today. The first one is how we need to be willing to see people as our neighbor. Are you willing to see, and that's your fill in the blank on your thing, if you, are you willing to see people as your neighbor? 
Now, we're not talking about people that you love, even though them too, and people that uh, are in, maybe you even work with, because it's them too. But in this parable, Jesus goes on, so now we're picking up in verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And just so you know, people kind of argue on how long this is, but it's about an 18-mile walk. And he was attacked by robbers. So let me stop there for a second. This area was so dangerous that it was actually called the Bloody Way because so many people had been robbed, kidnapped, murdered, all of the stuff in that area. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. And we're gonna stop right there for a minute. A priest and Levite are an interesting choice for Jesus to pick here because they were really busy doing good things for God. And I don't think it was a mistake at all that this is the exact people that Jesus picked for this parable. The people that think they got it all together. And Jesus is saying to them, right, at that time, who's your neighbor? And he's saying to, the, to this expert of the law, who's your neighbor? Well, these two both go to the other side. They don't see this guy as their neighbor. They might see the people in their church, the people in their temple. They might see the people that live really close to them, but they didn't see this guy. So they went to the other, the other side. Now, before I move on and we talk about seeing people as our neighbor, I wholeheartedly believe that we cannot grasp this until we have grasped, grasped the idea of how much we are loved. You can't. Do you guys know that's the meaning of Christmas? How much Jesus loved you? He loved you so much he was willing to come into this world filled with messed up people for you. I love that the Bible talks in so many different verses, so I'm not gonna read them all, but that you're wanted, you're loved, you're lavished upon. You were created. You are called sons and daughters. He died for you. He bled for you. He chose you. And until you can embrace that, you'll never be able to see another person that way. Until you've sat there and said, I get that, Lord. I get it doesn't matter my past. It doesn't matter what I've done. That you love me. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we cleaned up our life, once we looked perfect, while we were still sinners. So why is it shocking for us then to look at somebody else and love them while they're still a mess up? Why is that hard for us? But the Bible's really clear on loving people that are un unlovable sometimes. They're, they're not like us. They disagree with us. I was debating back and forth, back and forth. Should I use a political illustration? Hold on. I might go there. I'm going to do it. But 
I'll, I don't need to explain to you that in our political climate, people are not treating each other very well. Often, it is extremely divisive and vile. And I have a picture, another picture that will show you just how vile it is. Show us this picture. Oh, look at that. So that's President Bush, a Republican, and Michelle Obama, a Democrat, really loving each other. And I, I picked this one specifically because there's tons of pictures of this. Um, because you can see how much they actually care for each other in that picture. Am I right? How, how many people will really like, look at his face where he's like, hmm. <laughs> how many people would do that to somebody that they don't like? Anyone? And they disagree politically on almost everything. It's interesting because at a funeral, a few funerals ago, they started this tradition where President Bush would give her candy. Anybody see that? Okay, let me, I'll paint you the picture. He's sitting here, and all the presidents and first ladies are sitting, and on one side of him is Laura, and the other side is Michelle. And without looking down, how well do you have to know somebody to be able to do this? He picks a piece of candy out of Laura's hand, without looking, drops it in Michelle's. I thought about this. I, I work with about 20 other staff members, and I went, how many people in that room even, could I do that? Not, I would do it to everybody where I'd look at them like, do you want a piece of candy? But I'm talking about understanding what she needed right then. Going above and beyond for her. How many can you guys think that you would do that other than your family? That you could not even have to ask them what they want, take it and pass it off. And so at the funeral for um, President Bush Sr. this last week, you might have saw it, he came up, President George W. Bush, um, on a night that he was delivering the eulogy for his own dad, and greeted every person, and then reached in his pocket and gave Michelle some candy. In front of everybody, when he, if he ever had a time to use an excuse, it was then. It's my dad's funeral, I'm speaking, I'm busy. And this is what he does. But it's even, it, the, Jesus sets the bar even higher than people we disagree with. In Luke 6, 27 through 31, it says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And then it takes it even farther. This gets painful here. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, give them. Do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do. We are to come alive by loving people. Come alive in Christ is so that we can then love other people. Are you willing to see all people as your neighbor? Some of you, even today, are like, well, I didn't, I was like the priest and Levite. I kind of just defined that in a narrow sense. And then other of you are like me, who know that, and you still go into autopilot. So the second point is to be willing to go 
and take action with our neighbors? Are you willing to then move for somebody else? To take action, to go and do that. So let's jump back to Luke 10, 30 through 35. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man in his own, on his own donkey. And I like that. I like that image. He didn't go get a second donkey. He didn't say, wait here. He immediately gave him his. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So how is it that we come alive by helping people? The first is to give up the excuses. I learned this as a child in a very clear way. My dad was one of the most giving people I ever met, and he had a tradition on Christmas Eve that we would go and serve other people. And I don't know why this one particular year was the year that everything changed for me. But talk about having an excuse. Like, serve on the 23rd, 22nd, on the 21st. Aren't we busy on Christmas Eve? And he did it that day. And there was this organization downtown Minneapolis called the Marie Sandvik Center. And it was started by a Norwegian immigrant who wanted to love the people of the inner city, Minneapolis. And by the time I was a teenager, because that was like in the 30s or 40s, it was filled with inner city kids from lots of different countries and lots of different nationalities and backgrounds. And this particular Christmas, I remember it clearly because I had one wish, and it was for a pair of skis. I love skis. How many, I don't think we have a ton of teens or kids in here, but how many of you guys love opening a present on Christmas? Yes, okay. We love presents. And I love skiing, and I wanted skis, and I was focused on skis. So I was like, all right, I can go with you again this year, of course, but I'm gonna think about my skis the entire time. Yeah, I was one of those teenagers that sat in the corner like this, with an attitude, and I got put in a room with a bunch of small children, probably between five and eight, and they have a tradition at the Marie Savick Center to give shoeboxes filled with gifts to all the kids. And I sat there with my incredibly bad attitude as they opened them up, and I don't know why they got to open them up in that classroom, because their parents were in a different room, having a choir sing to them and eat dinner. But they opened them there right in front of me, and I took a peek inside. And my attitude got worse, because inside was an orange. Like, who is happy about that? And a toothbrush and a pair of mittens. Now, these mittens were made by probably little Norwegian women, little old Norwegian women, and they sewed them. So in Minnesota, the winters are brutal. I don't need to tell you all about it, but it's, they're brutal. And I looked, and it wasn't until I saw those mittens, and I noticed, if you guys ever had homemade knitted mittens, anybody? Not too many. Well, they usually have holes in them. 
unless this person is professional. And in all the, all the seams and all the edges, there were these big old holes. And I was like, that's not going to last them. That's not going to last them at all. Why, why on earth would somebody give that? And then I realized that the, the little lady that probably knitted them, she gave the best of herself for hours and days and weeks up to that point. And then the miracle of all miracle happened. I look up and I saw the face of that child. And the face showed pure joy. And I lost it at that moment. It was like a spiritual light came on. Anybody? You, we've had that moment, yeah? And I, I went, for the first time ever, I hope I have a shoebox under the tree and not the stinking skis. Because I got it for the first time that it was better to give than to receive. It was better to come alive through the acts of giving and watching somebody else in their heart be so thankful. And from that day forward, I was like, that's what Jesus wants of us. That was what Jesus, and then I was, I was able to go to my dad that day and just really thank him. And thank him for, for modeling what I needed to know. Not just saying it, but modeling it. And here's the crazy part. I got my skis. And we were a pretty poor family, and they were used skis. And the edges were kind of curling up. The plastic coating was coming off. And I had a moment staring at those skis, going, I am so glad yesterday happened. Because I would have been really ungrateful right now. And I knew, because we didn't have a lot, that was the best of my parents. That was the best of them. They sacrificially gave to us, which meant, and I never heard the story how they got them, because even you skis that couldn't afford, they probably bartered something, did something to get them. And I was so glad that Jesus showed me not to stare at the skis, but to thank my parents for the sacrifice they did, for giving the best they could to me. And that's what Christmas is about, guys, giving and not receiving. I love a quote by Anne Frank. It says, no one has ever become poor by giving. And you have it. Never. And that's what this passage is asking for us. So what's your excuse? Is it Christmas Eve? Is it finances? Is it that you're busy? And probably the priest and Levite were busy, but they also had another excuse. They were doing God's work. They had to get back. They went down to Jerusalem to be in the temple, and they had to get back to their families now. There's not a better excuse than that. And still, it was an excuse. The second way to know and to come alive is to go above and beyond. Let's take another look for a second at the Luke 10, 33, 35 passage. So the, the Samaritan here does a couple of interesting things. First, he puts them on his own donkey, but then he brings them to an inn, and it says, and if you have your program, you can circle this because it's important, and took care of him. Then it says, the very next verse in verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii. Now hold it for a second. What that implies is that he stayed with them. He stayed with the man 
the whole night. I often have read this and was like, oh, yeah, I do nice stuff like that. I can like see somebody and take them to the hospital, drop them off. That's not what happened. He stayed with them. He took action and stayed. Then the next day, comes out and says, okay, here's money to pay for that, and I'm gonna come back again and give you more if there's more expenses. So I went to two guys this week. They're both people I super admire that give all the time. All the time. Um, probably the most, two most giving people I, I know in my life right now. They would be embarrassed if I told you how and where they do this. But I asked both of them, have you ever done something like that for a stranger? Have you ever gone so far above and beyond that you would stay with them and help them the next day? And both of them said no. And you know what this tells me? That this is hard. This is hard. Jesus is throwing out a challenge for us. He's not saying do the minimum. He's saying, how much do you have to do to show people love? When you love our neighbor, it's not just bringing over the cookie plate to the neighbor next door. My husband does that every year. I don't. It's weird. He's nicer. And I'm gotta, but to go that extra mile. Think about that today. Jesus is challenging each and every one of us to go above and beyond. Another writer wrote this, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. I stared at that for quite some time. What does that mean? You can never love without giving. If you truly love somebody, you will pour out into their life. You will. So when Jesus is asking us to love a stranger, what does that mean? It changes the dynamic, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it's different what he's asking. He's asking us to come alive, if we are truly alive in Christ, to live our life outward focused, to live our life by going the extra mile, to live our life by taking action. 1 John 3, 16 through 18, I'll give you guys a job. Go home and everybody just read 1 John three, or the whole chapter, or whole book, throughout this message series. But I really love 1 John 3, 16 through 18, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Ouch. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. So how is your action today? I know mine is on autopilot. I, I love it when I get messages that um, challenge me, and this is one. Because I so often go through the motions. I'm just moving through the, gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta go there, gotta be this and do this for all these people that I feel like I have a huge list of have-tos. But Jesus isn't asking for that. He's asking for us to give more. The third thing on your paper is to humble yourself. Humble yourself. Now, humility is not this false like, oh, I'm not, I, I'm not that great at the sport or that sport or what I do. 
That's like a false humility. Humility, and the way Jesus defines it, is laying down yourself for another person. And we see this in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. At our high school retreat, Yay Fusion, we, um, I actually spoke on Philippians. The whole weekend, Daniel and I spoke on Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And I just want to read this for you for a minute. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. All right, we could just stop right there. That's hard. Am I the only one that that's hard? To do nothing out of selfish ambition? <laughs> or vain conceit, but rather in humility, there's our definition, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something, an old version This is to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, he made in human likeness, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here's, here's the point. We come alive in Christ, not by giving a little, but by giving it all. We come alive in Christ by dying to ourselves. The moment when we realize to give our life to Christ means taking his will and his eyes and his actions and no longer our own is the moment we will be alive in Christ. And it's the uncomfortable Christmas message, guys. It's the Christmas message that he came to this earth as a baby, born in a manger, the worst of all places you can think of, in a barn with animals, not because it was fantastic, but because he loved us that much. The end of the parable, I want to read really quick. In Luke 10, 36 through 37, it says, and when he got done telling the parable, Jesus looks back to the, the uh, expert in the law and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. Now, it's a big deal for him to know this because every detail about this, and Dave's going to actually continue this next week. He'll tell you more details about what's happening in this story. He would have understood with complete clarity every detail that Jesus was saying to him. So for him at that moment to be able to say it was the one who had pity on him, he, he had a, his own light bulb moment. And Jesus tells him to go and do likewise. Now, I wrote out each of my points to be willing to see and to be willing to go. And there was a reason I did this because so, some of you guys today, you're newer to church or you're, maybe you're new just in your faith. And for you, it's just the idea of even showing up to the game. And you're like, Okay, I didn't even know that person was considered my neighbor. I didn't even know that Jesus says, if you love your life, you will lose it. I didn't know that. So for you, it might be just the willingness to start exploring this. But for the rest of you who are like me and have been around a little bit, 
Jesus ends this with a command. So in your notes, cross out, be willing, (laughs) and leave it, go, and do likewise. That's what he's saying to him. Wake up out of your slumber. Wake up out of your zombie apocalypse. See the people around you. See the world. Go and do likewise. See them and act. See them and go. Come alive every minute of every day as we see them. And what would happen if our church actually lived like that? Can you imagine if all of us lived? What if every single believer in all of Salt Lake City lived their life like this? We could change the entire world by just one thing, and that is us who believe and put our hope in Jesus understand what it means to love another and love them through action and deed. So I'm going to have the band come up right now. And I, um, as I was really wrestling with this message and doing a ton of prayer, I just sat there going, man, I am such a mess up. I fail this over and over and over and over. And this message is not about condemnation or even conviction. It's about commitment to the future. It's about how we're going to move forward today. And I can't do a message where I'm asking for action without asking for you guys as well today. So the band's going to play a song. And during the song, we have a table on either side with baskets. And inside, there's just a little piece of paper. And if you today are like, Carrie, I too sometimes go into that kind of sleepwalking mode. And I want to commit to either seeing people or going and taking action. Will you just grab one and take it back to your seat? There's pens up here too if you need one. And just sit down quietly with your little piece of paper and write whatever that is. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've never even understood how much God loves me. Write that down. Write that I will come alive by seeing how much God loves me. Because that, you can't move forward until you understand that. That he died for each and every one of you. No matter what you've done, while you were still a mess up, he died for you. And if that's you, write that on there to see how much he loves me. And if yours is that I just never really thought about neighbors as anybody other than the people I love, write that on there to see. And if you're someone who's like me that is in a sleepwalking mode, will you write that on there today? So I'm going to pray just really quick, and then they're going to start singing a song. And as soon as we're done, jump up and grab that little piece of paper and then just sit with it. And write, you can write as much or as, and if you need more than one, you can do that too. And then when you get home, put it somewhere that you can remember. Put it on your mirror or on your nightstand, somewhere that you're like, I am making a commitment. Again, it's not condemnation about our past. It's a decision to go because Christ lives in me and I am alive. I'm going to die to myself and live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every person in this room. And I just pray as you move through each of our hearts, Lord, that uh, you will just 
love each of us just where we are right now and help us as we make commitments for the future and how even this Christmas season we're going to love other people. Just work in our hearts right now, Lord. We love you so much. Amen.